You know what I really like though? I like peanut butter on hot dog buns. I like the texture of a hot dog yeah. bun with peanut butter. Just mm-hmm. plain peanut butter, no jelly. Mm-hmm. Straight peanut butter on a hot dog bun. Yeah. It's awesome texture, especially with milk. Yeah. My dad always used to put down a layer of a thin layer of butter and then peanut butter. Interesting. Before adding why ruin no, why a, ruin the peanut butter? So that's butter. a very Canadian thing to put a put butter on any sandwich. Mm-hmm. You you have to butter your bread first. If you're going to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you have to put butter on both slices first. Really? Okay. If you're making a ham sandwich, you put butter on it first. No, that a I turkey sandwich, you're putting butter on it. Interesting. Pastrami. You would put butter on it. Cheese sandwich. You would put butter on it. I like peanut butter and cheese. Or my dad would eat, he'd put butter on the bread and then extra sharp cheddar and, mm. and a slice of onion. Ooh. Interesting. Hmm. Huh. So, yeah, uh, my dad, I don't know if he knew why he was doing it. I think it might go back to the old days when you put down some lard on your bread first and then <laughs> whatever else. Um, well, my grand. It, real quick, it does have the interesting side effect of, I think, keeping the peanut butter from sticking to the top of your mouth. Mm. You can see that. Mm-hmm. Now, Lord. my Lord. grandfather, uh, being in the in World War II in Great Britain for the Canadian Armed Forces, mm-hmm. um, it was a massive contingency of like 40 people. Anyway, um, there was like food was rationed, so you saved everything. And when you fried your bacon, you saved the grease. And like, I remember my grandpa would fry the bacon and then you didn't put your toast in the toaster. You put your bread in the frying pan and you fried your bread in the bacon fat. Oh, I bet you that would taste good. Mm-hmm. Bacon. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad. Covenant and he lived to be 84 years old. Yeah. fat is not the enemy. That is not. No. It was the skin cancer. Hmm. <laughs> That took a weird turn. I was thinking diet, and you're thinking about to your grandfather. Sorry. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Mm. Mm. You mm. just laughed at my grandfather's death. No, I laughed at the fact that I was thinking about what's the diet part. I, I was too, to be honest with you. Yeah. All right. Shall we get to it? Yeah, let's do it. All to right. what? Our topic for the night. Oh, we have a topic. Or day, or evening, or morning, whenever you may be listening to this. Mm-hmm. It's our topic. And it is um, Bible stories that you never realized were in the Bible. And I've got a really cheap one. It's the last chapter of Jonah. Which (laughs) I was true, dude. I was so so shocked. I was so shocked because I never I did not grow up in a Bible believing family or a church going family or anything. I was vaguely aware of the story of uh, Jonah and the whale. And. The great, the great fish, the great fish. Just went when you said whale. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's okay. Jonah. It's from a lifelong. (laughs) Well, like I say, remember how I being reprimanded from my childhood on for saying whale, but Jonah and the great fish. There we go. Could have been a whale shark though. That's right. Um, But I, I just remember, you know, growing up, you heard vague references to the story as a weird allegory or whatever, you know, whatnot. I think I went to church twice before I got to college. Um, And then in college I got saved and it wasn't until um, I was, I was a couple years married that Melissa and I decided to read through the book of Jonah 
for whatever reason. I don't know. Uh, and after the fish, I was like, well, that's the main part. And this is only four chapters long. So what are they going to do for the rest of it? They just told the whole story. I know. (laughs) It's a long appendix. I know. What was even the point? And then he goes to Nineveh Mm -hmm. and he's just king of the jerks. Yeah. The whole time. Yep. God saves Nineveh anyway. Yeah. And then he spends the rest of the book in a epic temper tantrum. Yeah. It was just mind-numbing to me. I'm like, what the heck is happening? (laughs) And it ends with him saying, I'm mad. I'm so mad I could die. Yeah. And then God pointing out, you're more compassionate for a plant than you are for all the people and, and animals in Nineveh? Yeah. Yeah. And then after that. It's a that, great way to finish, yeah. right? And scene. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> angry prophet, sulky, sulky, sulky. End of story. I was just befuddled by that. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I still kind of am. Part of me yeah. wonders, you know, what, you know. So what do you think the, the main point of, of the end of Jonah is that way? Is that the first mic drop in the Bible? Like God says that and then just drops the mic on Jonah and walks away. Yeah, that's a good question. Now, mm-hmm. I'm, now I'm thinking about. That might be. That might be. Yeah. It, it's definitely one of the big ones. That's for sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I how I have been taking it all these years. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like, wow. I guess you know, you know, you, you think of prophets as heroes. You know, they mm-hmm. always do the right thing and everything. And right. truth be known, if you look at heroic literature from that era. Uh, it would have been written that way, right? I mean, he would have ridden in, saved the city, mm. and right, gotten a few thousand goats or whatever, and yeah. rode off into the sunset. But it's <laughs> got it's some goats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yay! I got some goats. Yeah, wealthy. I'm just like getting some Mercedes, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but got some, I mean, got got a grill. Yeah. <laughs> but I I guess I I I kind of because I did come up through a secular upbringing and, and everything, I kind of took it as like another reason to trust the Bible. Because if you were trying to write a story about, you know, a, a fictitious story, right. um, it would have had a very different ending. It wouldn't have, yeah. it wouldn't have played out that way. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's so deeply theological. We think it's so juvenile in a sense, because it's like, Oh, trust and obey. And if you don't obey, then God will throw you into the, Mm-hmm. And you get swallowed by a great fish or yeah. a whale if you're talking to children. Yes. And so I I don't know. You throw your perspective in here too. I don't, I don't want to. Anyway, so you think about it. It's Jonah is actually angry that God is who he says he is, mm-hmm. right? So one of the great revelatory moments that God has is that Genesis, not Genesis, Exodus 32 through 34, where he talks about, I'm the Lord, the Lord mm-hmm. God, abundant in loving kindness and truth, um, full of compassion, but I will not let sin go unpunished. And so that verse gets quoted. I forget where exactly. He says, I knew you were compassionate, <laughs> God, right? I knew yeah. you were exactly how you <laughs> revealed yourself to be. Yeah. And I'm angry because I'm being used to do what you said you're our job is, which is to reach the world. Yeah. And then, yeah, like you said, the mic drop, but it's, it's a real reprimand to the nation as a whole for not being a missionary nation mm. and reaching the world f- for Yahweh. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's a really profound. It's a profound last three chapter appendix to the story. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, the first and the first chapter is profound in and of itself too. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I I do agree that we don't really hear a lot now that I think about it. We don't really hear a lot about Jonah four. No. Yeah. Who 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 are you so hateful about that you won't share the gospel with them? Yeah. That's that's really kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's Greg. No feelings, no thoughts, no thoughts. Mulling it over. I get, I'm I'm drawing a blank. Okay, mm, that's cool. We can cut that yeah, too. We'll cut that. <laughs> we can cut that question. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, no. I really like that one. Yeah, I like that one a lot. So I have one, and I it deals. Um, it's one that I've never heard preached. Okay. Um, Challenge and, accepted. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it's it's really worthwhile. Maybe. And I, I think it, it really might be worth a little bit of deep dive discussion because it really hits on God's sovereignty and human free will and how those interact. So I'm assuming that here at Catfish, we believe very strongly in this sovereignty of God, that God, there's nothing outside of God's purview. There's nothing that happens in in the universe that God did not decree. I would agree. Now that includes sin. But God decrees sin without ever being responsible for sin, right? We think about those things. So so we talk about those things theologically, but we don't see them played out too much in terms of how that works in God's economy. Well, so the story is First Kings 22. And the, basically, Ahab is king, and it's time for him to go, Right? And and Yahweh says, guess what, guys? It's time for him to go. And you see it through the prophecy of Micaiah, right? The prophet. And so Jehoshaphat is king in the south in Judah, and Ahab is king in the north. Um, and they haven't, the north has been fighting the Arameans, right? Um, people of Aram. And so it comes up and, and Ahab goes, hey, like, you're going to help us? And Jehoshaphat goes, yeah, I'm going to help you. But by the way, let's check with the prophet of Jehovah, right, of Yahweh. And uh, so Micaiah happens to be that prophet, and Ahab hates Micaiah because he's always saying bad things about Ahab. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, a good president likes his to call on his reporters that always give him fair, fair or, you know, slant things their way. And so um, you see the scene that Micaiah describes where in the heavenlies, Yahweh is speaking to the angelic hosts, right? Uh, his, if you want to call it his divine counsel. And, and so um, it's basically God saying, well, it's time for Ahab to go. Uh, and he goes, how are we going to do this? And, and apparently there's a discussion and God goes, okay, that sounds good. And one of the angels says, I'll be a deceiving spirit and I'll go down and I'll give him a bunch of deceptive prophecies and um, and that's how, and that'll give him confidence to go out to war and he will, Ahab will die. And God says, okay, let's do it. 
and let's do it that way. And I think it's a really interesting look at um, that was God's decree that Ahab was going to die. But he, in his sovereignty, allowed his angelic host to help determine how that was going to play out. And if you think about Genesis 1, he says to man, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over it. So he's given man dominion over the earth. Now, is he in complete control of what happens? Yes. Does anything happen that's outside of his purview or control? Nothing happens outside of his purview or control. And yet, much of that he allows to us to determine, which is why so much sin happens, right? And yet he's still in complete control. Now, to got to wrap up 22, right? Um, so in 22, basically, all the false prophets tell Ahab, you're good to go. And then Micaiah goes up and he goes, no, this is, this is not good. You're gonna, this is not going to go well for you. And one of the false prophets comes up and smacks Micaiah. And he says, right, he slaps him in the face. And he goes, what, what did God leave you and come to me and come to you? And he goes, yeah, you're going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so um, Jehoshaphat somehow gets wrapped up. Ahab thinks he's being tricky and he says, hey, Jehoshaphat, why don't you dress up like a king? I'm going to dress up. <laughs> I don't know how Jehoshaphat could think like this was a good plan. Yeah. But he dresses up like the king, Jehoshaphat does. Ahab dresses up like a more of a common, right? He's still on a chariot. but And he ends up getting shot and Jehoshaphat gets chased. But they realize it's not Ahab. And so they end up killing Ahab. And even though there's a, all these prophets are giving him bad information. God actually gives him, like, if you do this, you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so even though he sends these deceiving spirits, he actually gives them the truth, but he's not willing to listen to it. And he goes out, does his own, and that's how he dies. Yeah. And it's, it's to me, it plays out in terms of divine sovereignty, human free will, how that plays out. And um, I think at times we either emphasize one too much or the other too much. And, you know, it, that's a really good example to take people to on, on how to think about divine sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I remember the, f- the first time I read that, I, that's another one where I went back two or three times. was like, did I just read that? Right. And yeah, I think, I, love this I think my favorite part is when uh, he calls Micaiah out. And Micaiah says, you know, he's like, what do you have for me? And Micaiah says, um, oh, great king, ride out and be victorious. And the king immediately says, how many times have I told you to only tell me the truth of what the Lord says? <laughs> he knew he was messing with them. Which is kind of ironic. He does it anyway. <laughs> right? I know. He's, he's so stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much beautiful irony in there. Yeah. There yeah. is. I got one more if you want. Okay. I, I need your one more. Okay. All right. So math, I was thinking about Matthew 11, um, mostly because I was talking to my friend who's a pastor about two hours away from here. And um, he's preaching it. And it ties into the divine sovereignty, human free will. And he's preaching on uh, Matthew chapter 11, where John the Baptist, his followers come to Jesus. And he bas- they basically say, are you the Messiah? Like, yeah, it, it almost comes off like John the Baptist is kind of wondering. Um, and then basically Jesus says, if you will accept him, 
John the Baptist is Elijah. Right? Because you have this promise of Elijah coming before the great day of the Lord, right? So there's there's a kind of thing in prophecy that I don't think we can get around, that there's this, um, at the first coming of Christ, it's all under God's sovereignty, but there's this potentiality that if the people, the Jewish people had accepted Christ as Messiah, then it would have kicked in. And this is purely theoretical because in God's decree, it's not there. But there's this legitimate offer of the kingdom and in order for there to be a legitimate offer of the kingdom, they have to have a John the Baptist, I mean, excuse me, an Elijah. <clears throat> and so um, John the Baptist is Elijah if they would accept him. They end up rejecting him, and then the Jewish people along with Rome put Jesus to death, whereas it seems like the logical thing would be if Israel had accepted Jesus, that, that um, excuse me, Rome would have come in. If they would have embraced him, Rome would have come in and you would have immediately gone into the eschaton or whatever after Jesus is crucified and then resurrected and then kicks off the last age. But in God's decree, that can't happen. Yeah, it's hard to, right? Now we're starting to mess with divine sovereignty, human free will. We'll get into there. But it is just a fascinating text to deal with that because you have this strange thing you got to wrestle with in eschatology, which is, was it a legitimate offer to Israel? Yeah. I would say it's a legitimate offer in the same way that the gospel is a legitimate offer. Yeah. Even if some don't have the ears to hear, the eyes to see, the heart to accept it, it's still a legitimate offer of the gospel that they reject because of their limited free will. But Hmm. I've just been dancing that line between divine sovereignty and human free will, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I have to admit, this is this is like in the area of like physics concepts where people will explain things to me, like down to how the smallest particles interact with each other and how light is strings, baby. Yeah, there's like uh, like um, you know, energy is is maybe particles, but particles are energy and they interact with each other at some quantum layer and blah, blah, blah. And my mind just kind of goes blip. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I one time, I once, there you go. I once saw a documentary on string theory. Oh yeah. And it, it had this, it actually <laughs> showed these dancing strings <laughs> as pulsing little strings. And nice. I was like, is that what it really looks like? I wonder. <laughs> I was like, this looks really, really hokey. But it was like these these pulsating. Yeah. It almost looked like a bunch of circular strings at a nightclub. <laughs> yeah, some <laughs> thum, thum, thum. <laughs> really, anyway. And did you remember about string theory? What do you what do you remember about it? I remember that string theory is very theoretical because in order to do th- string theory, you have to have like depending on which mathematical model, you have to have like five to 11 dimensions, which at this point is now metaphysics, right? It's not even physics, it's metaphysics. Which it's nice to hear some people, some scientists admit that Mm -hmm. because now it's religion. So there you go. Man, I've been talking too much. I want to hear. Well, I'm I'm sitting here trying to look up. So we got to cut this part because I'm asking for help. There's the account in Acts where they're on a ship and God says that the ship's going to sink. Mm-hmm. What chapter is that? 
dude, if you know that off the top of your head, I'm yeah, that's I, what I I'm, salute you. Uh, let's see, twenty three. I just 23. randomly said that. <laughs> it's towards the end, right? It is. It is. Twenty seven. Yeah, I think it's twenty seven. Yeah, it is. Twenty seven. Paul sails for Rome. Verse thirteen. The storm. <clears throat> Verse 27, the show. Okay, yeah, there we go. All right. So Chad's the great finder. (laughs) Um, For once. So in Acts 27, this is just like the offer that that you were just talking about. It's Mm -hmm. there, but it's not there. Okay, so there's um, they're on this vessel, and, uh, and they're kind of freaking out because they haven't been without food for a long time, and... Um, and they've jettisoned the cargo and everything. It's the third day. Um, and, uh, Paul stands up and says, you should listen to me and not set sail. Um, verse 22. Now I urge you take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, Mm. but only of the ship for this very night. There stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted that all those who sail with you are granted um, you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on some some island. So then it goes on to talk about um, the storm. And in verse 29, they're fearing that they're going to run against the rocks and the sailors are seeking to escape from the ship. And uh, and Paul said to the centurions and the soldiers in verse 31, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. And uh, the day was about... You to- mean the lifeboat? Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. there's people on a lifeboat and they, they're the ones, they, they have to stay with the ship or they're going to be lost. Right. Cool. And uh, it says in verse 33, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without having food. Um, therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all and broke it. And they began to eat. And they were all encouraged. And when they had eaten, though, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. And, uh, and and you've got this picture here. They've been told everything's going to be okay. But how are they acting? Hmm. Yeah. They're still doing the things. They're, they're still doing what is right to do. And, uh, and I just think of that with salvation. Like God says that he has chosen some. And God is clear through scriptures that unless he draws people to himself, they're not going to believe. There's some he has drawn and some he hasn't. And there's this tendency to look at it and say, well, I don't need to do anything because God's going to save who he's going to save. And and we still need to go and do the things that we should be doing. We still need to be telling people, sharing our faith with them, compelling them to believe because we don't know the ones who are going to believe um, and the ones who are going to reject. And, um, 
In verse 41, it says, it's striking a reef. They ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable. The stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. And he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Hmm. So they were all promised they're going to be saved. Yeah. Yeah, if they stuck with it. If they stuck with it. Yeah. And in the end, they were saved for sticking with it. It's pretty awesome. Man, our theme tonight has been divine sovereignty, human free will. It has been. It was pretty cool. It was predestined to be that way. I don't think we had a choice. No. All right. Calvinist joke of the day. Okay. Let's hear it. All right. What did Calvinist say when he fell down the stairs? What? I'm glad I got that over with. <laughs> nice. You got to admit, that's a good one. That's good. That's, yeah. That is good. Yeah. yeah, but that's more of a fatalist, not a Calvinist. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still like it, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's one good. of my favorites. I'll probably say that a hundred times on this podcast. No, that's, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. The, uh, so, some meme of the day is going to be from Toy St- one of the Toy Story movies. It says how Calvinists try to cheer each other up. And it's it's got a picture of like a spork and Woody, the 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 sheriff, yeah. and the 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 uh, the spork, which has like eyes pasted onto it or whatever, right. says, "It's okay, you're trash, just like me." That's <laughs> good. As I like to call it, worm theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> just a worm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Calvinist walks into a bar. Mm. But only if God wills it. There you go. But if any any theological stripe would walk into a bar, it would be a Calvinist. Yeah. They're the ones at the Evangelical Theological Society that are all discussing theology at the local bar. Yeah. <laughs> Edgy. Edgy. Hip. Trendy. With it. Calvinism. Calvinism. It's cool. It did turn cool for a while there. It did. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Is it cool or is he cool? Who's Calvin? He? Calvin? Calvin, I don't think, was very cool. No. He's cool. That's why I want to choose him. Thanks for joining us at Catfish Ministries. We hope you learned something with us and maybe had a laugh or two while you're at it. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. If you really like what you heard and want to help us make more of these, look us up on buymeacoffee.com. We can't wait to talk to you again next time. This is Chad for Greg and Dave signing off and saying, remember, America, it's always a great day to get catfished. Catfished.